0: Howdy, how? This is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy, how, you Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Oswee, and joining me today are Eric. What the hell was that? Man, what did you do last time? Did you like sing or something? Let me have my moment.
1: Yeah, you you got too much dip on your chip. (laughs) And also AC.
2: What's up, guys? I wish that y'all could see Oswee's face right now. This man is positively beaming. His Philadelphia 76ers, probably for the first time in his life, are legitimate contenders, not just having you know one great player, but two star level players on his team.
0: Praise be, man! Praise you me. got it done, Oswy. Daryl Morey got it done. Eric, what have I been saying all season long? Three words: trust in Morey. Trust in Morey, indeed. I told you, you you were you were out here saying, "Oh yeah, you should have taken the Brogdon trade." Oh, C.J. McCollum, he's coming and knocking. Well, actually, no. James freaking Harden is a Philadelphia 76er. And Ben Simmons is no more.
1: Oswee, so many things had to go right for this to come to fruition. That's a typical Daryl Morey trade, isn't it? Only he could figure out these crazy ways of getting shit done. You had to have the mercurial Kyrie Irving who has decided he's going to be a part-time player. You had to Mm -hmm. have a Kevin Durant injury. And you had to have a James Harden who just doesn't like his team strip club scene.
0: Yo, man, let me tell you, I'm, I'm riding on cloud nine right now because it's been a great day for me. James Harden gets traded to the Sixers. Aaron Rodgers becomes MVP of my Packers. I went and saw Jackass forever. Like, this is a great day.
2: Also, are you saying then officially that if the Sixers win something, you're going to pull off a Jackass stunt for the podcast?
0: I've been trying to locate a horse to punch, you know, and uh, I'm going to get my pitchfork ready so that I can ride if we win, you know, right across Broad Street. PETA, we do not endorse this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So also, before we get into the specifics of this, do you want to tell to our listeners what Daryl More was able to pull off at this trade deadline?
0: The wizard himself, Daryl Morey, was (laughs) able to get James Harden and Paul Millsap For Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a first rounder in this year's draft, unprotected, with the right to defer until next year's draft. A 2027 first round pick, which is top eight protected through 2028. And if not, it'll be two seconds if it's not conveyed. And yeah, earlier this season, if you told me this would happen, I would tell you that. Well, actually, I would say, yeah, it's Daryl Morey. But then I would say, how the hell did this even happen? Like Kyrie Irving, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you. So
2: I actually think this is a win-win trade, and we'll get into the Nets' angle and how they are faring with all the haul that they got from the Sixers. But I want to focus specifically at first on us, we 76ers. Yep. What is the one thing we know about Daryl Morey for several years now? This man believes fundamentally that you need two superstars to win in basketball and everything he does I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Daryl Morey people think that he wants to play basketball a certain way that he believes in you know analytics to fault and and, and launching a lot of three-point shots that's actually not his philosophy his philosophy is maximizing talent and from the day he got this job he attached himself to the guy he thought was the superstar in Joel Embiid, and he kind of had Ben Simmons at arm's length. And it ended up almost nearly costing him his vision because I guess Ben Simmons caught onto that too and then eventually wanted it out, right? And there was so much pressure on this guy in the Philadelphia media, from fans, and I would have to think at least to some extent from his own players who, you know, looking at basically a massive hole in the roster in terms of salary cap that was taken up by a guy who refused to play. Not to mention that whatever pressure was put on him from Clutch and from Ben Simmons to get traded. But this man waited it out. He had a lot of offers. And we've, we've talked about this podcast before. We've talked in our, our text thread before. But wait a minute. He's, he's not going for that offer. He's not going for that offer. No, he had his eye on a superstar. And ultimately, he got it done. And you just got to give the man his props. Trust in Maury.
0: Trust in Maury.
1: Is wild because honestly, <laughs> if you had asked me last year in late 2021 whether more will be able to somehow get the best player in a potential Ben Simmons trade, I would have told you you're full of shit. Hence the reason I was telling Oswe that they should have taken a Malcolm Brogdon offer and they should have like considered CJ McCullum. Because I just assumed in trades like this where a star player essentially decides to proverbially blackmail his team into trading him that is normative to get pennies on a dollar for said star
2: well what's really interesting to me eric is both of these same two teams were going after james harden just last season and it was kind of a similar situation in which he demanded out and he actually said he wanted out and and we all know the story about how Harden basically more or less played his way out of there because they didn't maybe initially want to trade him but then he made it so uncomfortable that they had to and the Nets gave up a massive haul for this guy in getting James Harden they gave away Karis Levert, Jared Allen, three unprotected first round picks and four pick swaps for the rights basically have this guy on their team who they hope to build around. And if you compare that to what the Sixers gave up here, they gave up two first-round picks, one of which was unprotected. And then they gave up, you know, a couple of decent players in Seth Curry and, and Andre Drummond to a lesser degree. And then, of course, they gave up Ben Simmons, who is a valuable piece. But it's not like they, they, they sold their franchise with it. They got rid of a guy who wanted out of there anyway to get the better player in return. So from that perspective, you've got to really give Maury props from, as you said, Eric, taking a guy who wanted out and then somehow actually getting more, not, not just quarters on a dollar,
0: but like a fifty on a dollar, maybe, we could say? You know, Eric, earlier this NBA season, AC had the blasphemy of referring to you as Eric Dramas. But guess what, baby? There's only one <laughs> Dramas, Oswee Dramas. Because Aswi Dramas said, Mori will get something done. So
1: I just want to take my bow. And, uh, you know, take this win. Nah, little homie. You were as pessimistic at various points as we were that you all all were going to actually be able to get a star player in return. You weren't saying that Maury was going to definitively get James Harden. Now, it worked out that way because somehow Ben Simmons, a player not as good as James Harden, helped you all out who had continuously for years been trying to fit him with a Joel Embiid, who his skill set didn't match with, decided that he wasn't going to play for you all anymore, even while you all were finding him millions and millions of dollars. So he forced your hand, and you were lucky to get James Harden in a perfect storm of events. So no, you don't get the title of some type of prophet. This just happened and fell in your hands. See, where you're wrong is I never said anything about James Harden.
0: I just said, trusted Maury. Maury doesn't make bad deals. Is, a, a, am I being consistent or what? That's what well, I've been saying all season the long. Only... I didn't think that Harden was going to come to us. like that. This formulated over the last week, maybe toward the end of the season, yeah. But listen, man, I'm not pessimistic. I'm realistic, but I'm always optimistic. So I got this.
2: Let's talk about Harden, the basketball player, the player that you're requiring. So let's go to the positives first. I think there's no question this is the first time that the Sixers, probably since the early 80s, have had two legitimate stars because they've had Allen Iverson, but they've never had that other guy. Mm-hmm. I also think if you look at Joel Embiid's career in particular, he has never had a true perimeter creator like this who could... Not just create offense, but also shoot from the perimeter. Because he's had shooters like a, a JJ Reddick or a Seth Curry, and he's had maybe slashers like Jimmy Butler for a year. And then, you know, Ben Simmons can pass and create to some degree. But nobody could do all of those things the way that James Harden can do and do it at an elite level that commands actual attention from another team. So I think that. Right off the bat, it's going to make him extremely dangerous as a player because you just can't pay the attention to Joel Embiid that you want to spend or that you need to.
0: James Harden, I feel, is an underrated passer. I mean, we saw in like his MVP season, or even in particular, throwing it back to 2015 when I thought he should be the MVP over Steph Curry that year, the numbers don't lie. He, he is a great passer. And if they run a pick and roll between him and Joel Embiid, he could just kick it to a a shooter in the corner and that guy's going to probably be wide open because you have to give ample attention to Embiid and Harden wherever they are.
2: Yeah, no question. Now, on the other hand, though, it's fair to say that Harden has never played with a big man like Embiid either, and that's going to open up certain things for him. But it also is going to be a difficult transition for him. He's never had a post-up big or even really a big with any kind of real offensive skill right he's played with dwight howard who at best was like a lob catcher same with capella he's never had a guy who had a back to the basket game never had a guy who could face up and create offense so it's gonna be a bit of an adjustment period i think their ceiling in terms of what they can be offensively is quite high but reaching that ceiling will take some time i mean incorporating a piece that's as ball-dominant as James Harden will not be easy, and, and Doc Rivers certainly has his work cut out for him. The other thing, and I, I'll defer to Eric here on this question, is do we really feel confident that James Harden that we've seen over the last year is capable of being an elite player? Because he certainly was for many years, right? And then he maybe he struggled in the playoffs. But at the very least, he was a guy who was a perennial MVP candidate who, who could average you know, mid-30s, in his sleep, basically, it seemed like. So much so that it, we almost felt like he was manipulating the rules to some degree. And then, obviously, the game would slow down and, and things would change. But he he had that in him. Then, you know, in Houston, he looked terrible. He comes to the Nets, and he, frankly, last season, has an MVP-caliber season. So if I'm the 6th, I'm thinking about that performance saying, hey, he didn't give a shit about in Houston, but the second he came to a place he cared about, he played like an MVP that regular season. This year, he has looked out of shape. He's looked slow. Is it moments where he's had that like elite kick to him? And and as you point out, Eric, in one of our previous podcasts, he's getting the line a little bit more again. But I'm not sure we've quite seen apex or even dominant Harden this season. But is that because he's kind of mailing it in a little bit? You know, trying to force his way out like he's been at least the last few weeks for sure. Is it because he's out of shape and so he can maybe get in better shape as the season goes on? Or is he just not that player anymore? And I think the answer to that question will determine
1: the Sixers' ultimate fate. This is something that I often debate with myself about James Harden. Because if you had asked me last year, when we were debating what team James would go to when he would inevitably leave Houston, I think all of us wanted him to go to the Sixers. I I think that's pretty much consensus.
2: Yeah, no question.
1: At that point, I thought if you put James Harden, the James Harden of 2019, 2020, on the Sixers, they would be the best team in the East. Like, hands down, bar none. This version of James that I've seen this year, now, I'm calibrating this for the fact that he had an adjustment period with the rules. He also came into the season clearly a little portly so as of late even with him getting to the line more often more in line with his historical free throw shooting rates he still doesn't finish around the rim like he used to he still doesn't convert from mid-range on out in the same way that he used to he looks like a player that's somewhat on an athletic decline now It's quite possible, as AC hinted at earlier, that this has more to do with the fact that James seems to be a player when he's unhappy with the circumstances on the team that he's playing for will mail it in. But honestly, I think Sixers fans might want to mitigate how happy they are about this trade because I can definitely see a world where James isn't quite as good as he once was, but hopefully it's not that. So as a Sixers fan, the way I look at it is this. With Philly, he
0: has a team where he has a lot of relationships, whether it's our owner, whether it's Meek Mill, whether it's Daryl Morey. So it's a little bit more comfortable. There's some more assurance that he has because he knows and trusts Morey. I look at the Nets with Ben. I look at the bucks you know you got to respect the continuity they have you got to respect the fact that they are defending champs you look at the heat they are guys who are so well coached and they have continuity year in year out we don't have that we got to establish that now so i'm not i'm not about here to seriously say like oh yeah we're we're going to the finals we're we're favorites i think we're now contenders but i i still respect the, the Heat, the Bucks, and the Nets. Too much to say that we are foregone favorites against them. But whether this is a long-term investment or not, it matters less to me because this is our window. When's the next time we're going to have a guy like Embiid playing at this level? Why do we build up assets? Why do we get picks? Why do we save cap room? It's for this very situation. This is what you build to. You get your guy, another guy, so you can win.
2: One reason to be optimistic on the long-term outlook for Harden and is that he does seem to have this weird love of Daryl Morey. And not just Daryl Morey, as you rightly pointed out, there are also other people involved in the Sixers organization. But it's just kind of interesting to me that there is this weird GM-player relationship. I can't think of any other player... Ever that cared so deeply about a GM and vice versa, where
0: it's beautiful. If you ever
2: listen to Daryl Morey talk about James Harden, I've literally seen the man come to tears talking about James Harden. Like that's the amount he loves this guy, and and it seems like Harden acknowledges that and reciprocates that. And this is this is his guy. This is always a guy that Morey wanted there, and he got his guy. So if Harden's not going to be happy here, I don't know where he's going to be happy. Though it's worth mentioning that in Houston, he wanted Dwight Howard gone. And, you know, Maury made it happen. He wanted Chris Paul gone. And he wanted Westbrook. Well, Maury made probably... You know, he said he never made a bad trade. Well, that was definitely a bad trade. He gave up Picks and Chris Paul to get Westbrook. Well, then he wanted out of there. And that happened. And, you know, just one year later, he wants out of Brooklyn. Even though he's on a team that, when they're all together, is literally just devastating to me. and, And actually should be the title favorites. So... There, you know, there is some degree of uncertainty with Harden long term, both in terms of how he physically holds up and whether he's going to just, you know, check out again. But just that relationship with Mori makes me a little bit optimistic. But so, Eric, then what's your thoughts on how the Nets fared in
1: this trade? Win win for everyone. I think I said this in a previous pot. If Ben Simmons is on a healthy Nets team, and I mean a healthy team with Kevin Durant playing, and also Kyrie Irving being on the floor. Even though we know, as Chuck put tonight, <laughs> honestly, what was the exact joke that Chuck said? Half man, half season. <laughs> so yeah, we're aware that there are a lot of variables here for them all to be on the floor healthy. But in theory. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving allow Ben Simmons to be the most optimal version of self. He gets to be around them. What I would theorize would be a rich man's Draymond Green, an elite passer, an elite defender on multiple levels. On offense, he gets to play big man in a way that he didn't get to play while playing with Philadelphia because Joel Embiid was there. And he gets to play big man while being an offensive hub in a way that Nikolai Jokic is. Of course, without all the extra skill set that Nikolai Jokic gives, but just passing. So I think everyone came out good. I can see a version of this Nets team that next year, and I don't think they'll win this year, but next year after they actually get together, coalesce, acclimate to each other, they could be world beaters because Ben Simmons also hides a lot of flaws just on the defensive end alone that the Nets have. Look,
0: Ben Simmons is no scrub. This man is a three-time All-Star, two-time first-team All-Defense, one-time third-team All-NBA, one-time NBA Steels leader, and Rookie of the Year. You're 100% right. He can be a lockdown defender. He'll He'll guard the other team's best offensive player. And with all these shooters around him, the paint is basically a runway for him. You're not going to want to double him down there if you have Seth Curry in the corner. And Seth Curry is an incredible move. One of the things that every team wants is shooting. And this guy's a, what, career 44% three-point shooter? And he's basically an insurance policy on Joe Harris, who's injured. Not to mention, also, Eric's boy... Andre Drummond is a great backup big. He's having a great season this year. So I feel like I don't want to say that the Nets are necessarily better
1: because they lost Harden, but they're definitely much more well-rounded overall. Oswee, you keep your boot on my neck, man, about Andre Drummond all the time. (laughs) Jesus, I ain't getting no air. (laughs) None. I'll never let you
0: live it down. But to be fair with you, Like I said, he's playing really well this season. So if there's a guy to be hyped on, it's him. And before I forget, Eric, just like James Harden, today I say welcome to you. Welcome to
1: the Sixers bandwagon. Oh, you already know what it is? I'm from Philly now, B.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Aswi and Eric, you guys are both spot on about how Ben Simmons could fit from a basketball perspective. Another way to look at this is, This is the first time he's on a team where he's going to be asked to do the things that he's good at and none of the things that he struggles at doing, right? Nobody's expecting him to to space the floor for anyone. Nobody's expecting him to even really generate offense, like not from the traditional way that he had to in the past, because he's playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So we know that Ben Simmons does a lot of things really well and doesn't even bother to do the other things that he can't do at all. And nor does he have any interest, apparently, in getting better at those things. So where better to be than in this location? And We always talked about where you know, Ben Simmons could fit. And people always brought up Golden State as the obvious example. And it's because of the shooting. He could play the Draymond role. Well, I don't see why he can't play that role in Brooklyn. I agree with Eric that it's unlikely they'll be able to make much noise this season. In part because Kevin Durant is out for at least a few more weeks. They've slid all the way down to the eighth spot right now in the Eastern Conference. We don't know when Ben Simmons will be ready to play. I mean, I know that apparently he's seeing a a doctor over there. So there's some belief that, you know, maybe he'll get back on the court eventually. And even when he does, there'll be some time to adjust. And then Kyrie Irving, he's only eligible to play in 10 of the remaining games this entire season. So they can easily fall a lot further and maybe even fall to like the 9 or 10 and have to fight their way into the playoffs. But I agree long-term that I really like what they did. And one of the reasons I like what they did, guys, is nobody's talking about the fact that they have a first-round pick this year unprotected with the right to defer it and also a 2027 first-round pick. They can use those two picks plus a salary this summer to go after a legitimate player. You know, there was some thought that they were going after Miles Turner and that didn't actually get across the finish line, but someone like Turner or you know maybe someone like Jeremy Grant in the summer there are guys out there that rebuilding teams will get rid of for two first round picks and you know rotation player so you know for everything we talked about before about them giving up so many assets in Harden you know they can't recoup all of that but they did
0: okay given the circumstances they were in with the guy demanding out and just one final note i want to make on Ben Simmons look this is a guy who i've been a fan of since i watched him in the McDonald's All-American High School game. I watched him have some big games at LSU and when we got the number one pick, I was there. I was just so hyped. I was so excited. If Brooklyn is where he can finally realize the potential that all of us in Philly knew he had, I mean, I think all of us are are winners because it's good for basketball. So, you know, good luck Ben Simmons. I uh, wish you the best, although I do warn you Get ready on March 10th, because Philly will boo the hell out of you
1: if you're on the court. And also, underrated reason that I'm happy for this trade, all the girls named Sin and Cinnamon at Club Risqué in Philadelphia are really happy right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love how Eric has a very specific example like that. He would. And one last thing on this trade, guys. Also, we talked about how it would be a win for all of us if Simmons does well. I want to take that analogy a little bit further. I think this trade is a win for the NBA in general. Yep. It creates a contender, a real contender, not just a fake one, a real contender in one of the biggest media markets in Philadelphia. It breaks up a super team while still making them competitive going forward. So honestly, this is a fantastic result for the NBA in general. And I'm really excited for the rest of the season and this Eastern Conference playoff race.
0: Our fans, you guys can't see it, but I'm doing the Rocky cheer right now when he's on top of the stairs, like fist pumping the air, like yeah, this is oh, amazing. That's what you're
2: doing. I thought you were
0: like Rocky. having a seizure or something. <laughs> <I was> <laughs> like... <laughs> so, guys, on a night that Luca Magic dropped 51, I believe it's his career high, the Mavericks made an interesting trade. They traded Kristaps Porzingis and a second round pick for Spencer Dinwiddie and. Davis Bertans. What do you guys think the Mavs are doing with this move? I'm really confused here.
1: I actually think the Mavs made a good decision here. In the sense that they took the worst players, but they made the executive decision at some point that Christophe Porzingis is not a true number two. And I think his resume pretends that that's the truth. So they took less contracts, If not, contracts that are shorter in length, they took lesser contracts, Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie, guys who are less of a cap hit that probably on expiring contracts, particularly with Spencer Dinwiddie next year, you will be able to flip for something. And they've moved on from some type of like onerous contract that they had on their books. And they knew that Christophe Porzingis as the number two option, was forever going to limit what the Mavs could actually do. So I actually think it was a fairly astute decision to pull off the Band-Aid now. But but let me ask you, don't you think, AC, that maybe
0: they could have gotten something better for Porzingis than what they did? He has more value than that, right?
2: Honestly, I don't know what his value is. And I've been, I think, unfairly lambasted as the Porzingis hater on this pod. And, and that because you are. back... That goes back to my time with the Knicks. Yes, I'm bitter that he <laughs> abandoned us on his rookie contract, which is kind of an unheard of thing for a player to do. But my criticism of him has always been I, I felt very fair. I see a guy who people perceive as this unicorn, and I guess he has some unicorn-like qualities because he's seven three and he can block shots and, and hit threes. But I see a guy also who struggles in space. Defensively, I see a guy who, until this season where he's had a bit of a, a turnaround, couldn't really punish a switch in the post. I see a guy who seems to have attitude problems and wants to have a bigger role than he has, even though he's playing with a guy who is many levels better than he is. And ultimately, and the biggest problem I see with him is he has simply not been able to stay healthy. He hasn't been able to stay healthy in New York, He hasn't been able to stay healthy in Dallas. And if you think that, even at their best, when when him and Luca are out on the court together, there are times where I look at them and and it seems like they could be that duo, but it just hasn't happened often enough. He's just in and out of this lineup. So I'm not sure what Porzingis' trade value was. And for the last few years, when I looked at the Mavs, I felt bad for Luca Doncic because I saw a team that was trapped by the salary they gave to Porzingis and was thus in a situation where they couldn't build properly around Luka Doncic. So, just getting his contract out even though Bertans is under contract for the same amount of years, it's for like half the money. So, it's a lot easier to get out of that deal even though Bertans has been one of the worst contracts in the NBA ever since he signed that contract with Washington. It's still half the money, so hopefully you can get out of that and in the meanwhile you can get to a position quicker because the Dinwiddie contract is off the books a couple of years earlier to where you have more flexibility and you could build the right way around. I, I think Eric framed it the right way. They had enough film, enough data, enough understanding that these two guys weren't going to get it done. And oh, by the way, they don't even get along on top of it all. So there's really no reason to persist in this, you know, fantasy that this is a, a duel that can win the West. So you might as well cut bait, and move on.
0: Moving on to the Washington side of things. Eric, how are the Wizards looking now? After getting rid of Dinwiddie, davis Bertans, and then getting back Kristaps for those people. Now, Bradley Beal is out for the rest of the season with the uh, hand surgery. I think it's either hand or wrist, something like that. Is adding Porzingis a move
1: that tells Bradley Beal, we want to build around you? So, I'm... A very fervent proponent of styles make fights. I actually think that Kristap Porzingis, his skill set probably works a little better with Bradley Bill as far as just like spacing out the floor than working with Luka Doncic. I, I think this trade works very well for the Washington Wizards. I think they have pieces. I, I like how, in, in theory, I like how Kyle Kuzma, I like how Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I like how Bradley Bill, I could see them being at least middle seed in the East with Kyle Kuzma developing, Bradley Bill spacing the floor, Chris Stapps being a floor spacer, Contavious being able to do it sometimes. So, I yeah, I, I, I actually do like this trade. For the Wizards, I think optimally they might need to go at another superstar to really optimize what they have with Bradley Bill. But from what's available and me knowing the history of guys not liking to actually go to the Washington Wizards to compete, I think this might be the best thing of a bad situation. No Kevin Durant, who's a local guy, are walking through that door for the Washington Wizards. And it seems to me that historically, we have this thing where the Wizards, they have a ceiling of about the 4 or 5 seed. And whenever they've tried to compete with other teams for elite marquee free agents, they fail. So looking at those constraints, I don't think this Chris Stepp signing is really bad for them. Definitely accounting for the fact that everyone on the Wizards, Hated Spencer Dimwitty, apparently, which I have no clue why. And David Bertans just wasn't living up to his contract.
2: You make a really interesting point, Eric, about the fit between Beal and Porzingis, as opposed to Doncic and Porzingis. Because Doncic is clearly the more talented player. But kind of like LeBron, who I really do think increasingly Luka plays a lot like, Luka dominates the basketball. So you have to be willing to basically become a spot-up player. And I think Porzingis wants more touches where he creates a little bit. And Beal, at his heart, is not really a number one option. He, You know, he can score 30 points a game, but he doesn't need to do it necessarily by even having the ball in his hands. He is, is a great shooter. And I think that he can be efficient even when Porzingis has the ball in the post like he wants to, do, apparently. And I, I do agree with that generally that team definitely got better if, if they were all healthy just by having Porzingis with Kyle Kuzma and KCP, I kind of like what they're building there, you know, sort of young shooting players. They could be a really explosive offense. And I do think Porzingis at least gives them some, some rim protection. And especially, you know, if Thomas Bryant is healthy next year, they'll have even more of that. But I think you, you made a point there about how they probably still need to get another star. And therein lies the rub with getting Porzingis. Because just like how we talked about how Doncic was hurt by having Porzingis because it limited their flexibility to add the right second option next to him. I feel the same way with the Wizards. And in the Wizards, it's even worse because unlike with with the Mavs, I don't think they have a true number one option who's capable of being the best player on a championship team. So they need to get like a true max kind of player there. And I'm not sure how they can do that unless they plan to, you know, sort of move one of these two guys. But then, you know, I don't know what they're really doing there. So I think they got better, but in a a few years, this might be a contract they come to regret, especially if Porzingis' trend of not being available continues, which I think it's fair to say is a high possibility.
1: So this is the thing about the Wizards or bullets that they were before. If you look at their history of the last 40 years, they get stars two type of ways. They get it the Moses Malone way where he's a declining star coming off of years of being a big-name marquee player like Moses Malone in, in the late 80s, or they get a young malcontent who's kind of chased out of town because it's just like it's not going to work with him because he's a head case. And you get the Chris Webber slash Gilbert Arenas type guy. Yep. Now, right now, they're hoping that Chris Stops is the Chris Webber gilbert arena's type archetype now we don't know but he's still what 25 26 he could be that in theory if a lot of things go right you and i definitely you don't think that's actually going to be the case where he he gains some type of ability that he's one of these like guys of the moment that has like this great four or five year stretch where they're just like marquee guys But I think that's what the Wizards are banking on because AC, honestly, looking at the last four decades of guys playing in Washington, that guy's not walking through the door in free agency.
2: Here's the other thing, Eric. Chris Webber in Washington was an unmitigated disaster. Gilbert Arenas, they had a couple years where it worked out and then got so bad that they gutted that team. And, you know, we had guns in the locker room and all kinds of other stuff going on. So... The track record of bringing in a guy who has been a malcontent in other places generally doesn't work out. Now, at a certain point in someone's career, they can mature. We saw that with Rasheed Wallace, right, when he went to Detroit. We saw that with Zebo when he went to Memphis. We saw it with C-Web, but not in Washington, but in Sacramento, right? So it can happen, but... The fundamental problem with Christoph Porzingis is that it's not just a skill or even a mentality thing. It's also a physical availability thing. And I think maybe he's come to the point in his career realized realize that he's probably at best a second option. I do think he's highly skilled and he brings a very unique skill set. So let's say that part all develops and, and his attitude is fine everything like that. There's still the can he be there on the court every night. And you talk about looking at the last four decades of history... How about we look at the last four decades of history of guys over seven feet tall with multiple foot injuries, right, and leg injuries. That is a scary history to look at. And this man is
1: 7'3, and I'm not sure his body is built for an 82-game grueling NBA schedule. It's really funny that you mentioned Rashi Wallace because he played early on for the, the Bullets. Yeah, with what's C Web. Yeah. So it's interesting you, you named that because like that tells you. The history of the Bullets slash Wizards has been that of slim pickings. You either get a declining guy or you get a head case that's young, that's not quite ready. And then he usually like fulfills some type of self-actualization on another team. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But you ain't going to probably draft them and you ain't getting him in free agency.
0: Let's talk about a team that I usually refer to as the dumb team in there's always a dumb team, the Sacramento Kings. However, this trade deadline, I actually feel like they've been pretty good. Some of the moves have been a little confusing, but let's start with just the Sabonis trade, and then we'll get into a, a four-team deal that they were part of. In the Sabonis trade, the Sacramento Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson for DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and a 2023 second round pick that's protected for numbers 56 to 60.
2: Oh, that's an awfully specific
0: protection. I'm really yeah, random. that'd be protected. Very confused by that.
2: I guess it's like protected for the back end of the draft. That's really weird. Yeah,
0: the back I've end never of heard of the second that.
1: round. <laughs> like what? I've never heard no shit like that.
0: O- only the Kings. Could it could it be the
2: theory that maybe like if it so let's say it's the 57th pick, then it would defer I mean, maybe to the next year. So then if you're getting that pick, you'd have a better shot of getting one of the four worst players in the draft. You have like a better shot that they'd be better the next year. So I, maybe right. that's the way it's working, I, I, but I've never really heard of that. I mean, I guess we don't really pay attention to protections on second round pick generally anyway.
0: For Sacramento, they basically trade away any shooting, right? Because while Sabonis is able to do it, he's not, particularly great at it. The only guy I think shooting over 40% from three on the Kings right now is Harrison Barnes. Justin Holiday is a guy who can stretch the floor, so it's not completely lost. But at the same time, I do feel like getting rid of the Buddy Heel contract is something that the Kings are looking to sell him anyway. So I guess mission accomplished. Eric, by by your your logic, they did get the best player in the trade.
1: I'm just curious where you feel with all this. I think the Kings came out really well. And I saw a lot of opinions saying that they somewhat got fleeced. And I don't see how that's the case. My logic is the Kings got undisputedly the best player, Demantis Sabonis. He's an all-star caliber player. He's a poor man's Nikolai Jokic, which I think we all agree on. Yeah, And this is a guy that you could potentially flip for future assets. People high up and draft value, you can get some young trade pieces. And the Kings weren't going to win either way with the roster they had before or honestly, I suspect the roster they have now. So why not take the pieces that can levy you the most like value? as far as, like, pieces to build up a future team. Now, one thing AC has pointed out that I find very interesting, and I think he might have a point, that has not been the M.O. of the Sacramento Kings for the last two decades. But I'm I'm thinking of this as a complete rational actor, though I know that the Kings' front office staff aren't full of rational actors. So, in theory, having Sabonis, I think, it's the best bet because of what you can do with his value.
2: Yeah, this is a, a Kings team that's owned by Vivek Ranadeev. Um, They have literally never operated with any semblance of rationality. Their mandate since the day that man took over was to make the playoffs. And lo and behold, now to make the playoffs, you can be the ninth or the 10th seed too. So once again, the Kings find themselves in a place where... They could get a few more wins and they can find themselves in the play-in tournament, which apparently to this organization is the only goal of fielding a professional basketball team. Now, look, I agree with you, Eric. Demande Sabonis is by far the best player in this trade right now. My problem is I think they acquired him in some ill-fated push to try to make, you know, at least a play-in tournament. And I'm not sure that they're trying to really rebuild here because I, I think that while he's the best player right now he's not such a dominant all-star type player that he can you know put a team on his back and really get you wins nor is he a player who fits well at all with the guy they retain which is Darian Fox so they've kind of got all in on Darian Fox and there were there were two schools of thought in the NBA between you know keeping Fox or keeping Halliburton and when i say two schools of thought i really mean Everyone but the Kings thought they should have kept Halliburton, but they seem, for whatever reason, really want to keep Fox. And so they kept him, and he is a slasher at heart. And Sabonis is a guy who is really a post up guy. He can pass up really well, but he wants to be around the hoop more than he wants to stand on the three-point line. So I don't like the fit between the two of them. I like Holiday and Jeremy Land as even, like, playoff-caliber rotation players, potentially, but not the kind of players that that lift the overall floor of your team to make a bad team, you know, competitive. So I just don't get what they're doing from like a structural standpoint, from from a from a planning standpoint. Because Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that you could build around long term, or move for something. Like you said, you could you could move Sabonis for someone to rebuild. You could move Halliburton to a lot of places where I think teams would either take a flyer on him, thinking he may project to be an All Star, which I don't quite see. Or he could be like someone who could be useful for almost any contender because he can hit threes and, and, and play both the one and the two.
1: Malcolm Brogdon is playing with Malcolm Brogdon Jr. now. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, they're, they really are similar. I've
0: followed the Kings pretty closely for a number of years now. And I've always had hope that Darren Fox would expand his game. But I want to give him a benefit of doubt and say he has not changed since his second season. But you could even make an argue he hasn't changed at all since his first season. But given the fact that Sabonis balled out the other night, I think he dropped like 22 and 14, was it? For 22, 14 and 5. This Kings team is really not far from the play in tournament. So, I mean, look, Ronaldive might get his wish. Uh, the question is, at what cost?
2: Yeah, I think he probably will get his wish, or at least he has a better chance to get his wish than any time since probably they had Boogie. Because this guy can play. Like, I think right now, the comparison between him and Halliburton isn't even close, really. Yeah. But to me, the logical thing to have done is to keep Halliburton and move Fox and then rebuild around Halliburton. Or if you're going to move Halliburton, use him to get those picks to really go into rebuild. It seems to me that they, they want to preserve this false air of competing for the playoffs. Or maybe it's a true air in their eyes because they actually do want to do this. That's why they kept Harrison Barnes. They've kept Fox. And now, you know, they have an all-star big in, in Sabonis. So, you know, they'll be all right. They'll be like this mediocre team that maybe makes a play in tournament, but now doesn't have that natural out of being bad enough to get those top high quality picks either. So they're gonna be stuck in that no man's line that teams like the Knicks have been stuck in forever. So right. I'm not sure I like the approach from that standpoint, but but Eric is right at the very least that Sabonis is clearly the best player in this
0: deal. And it, it does help also that the Kings did not give up any picks or anything there. So if they do ultimately fail, at least they'll have their picks to hopefully draft somebody who could turn things around for them.
2: So turning to the Pacers then, you know, Eric, you mentioned that this is basically Malcolm Brogdon and Malcolm Brownman Jr. Now Malcolm Brogdon could not be traded until this summer and and we'll see if they're going to retain him. These two guys kind of can really play the one and two together, which is weird because both of them are these Cool combo guards that can they can run an offense, they can hit a three, they both play good defense, they're both smart players that don't beat themselves. So theoretically, they could be your backcourt of the future, or if you're trying to leverage roster maximization, you can move one of them to do something else. And we had a, a podcast that we did recently where we thought which of the, the pacers would be traded, and it ended up being Sabonis. And you know, they kept Miles Turner. So when you look at this roster now, with the addition of Tyrese Halliburton. Do you see a plan? Are are they going for a real rebuild here? Or are they trying to make some airs of actually maintaining a competitive roster?
1: I see a plan. They're going to trade Malcolm Brogdon Sr. They're going to keep Junior. Junior who actually can space the floor. And Junior who has the foundational elements of an everyman type player. He is going to play with Miles Turner, who is going to be at the turn in the paint. Also space the floor. And then you're going to like build around them. You're going to have TJ Warren and some other guys. I actually think this team has an identity that they've clearly like zeroed in on. And I think this team has the potential building blocks to be a future very good team because all of these guys, except for TJ Warren, who's not that old, they're fairly young guys, 25 and younger.
2: Yeah. And they finally separated this ridiculous concept of running two center at the same time and that alone there's reports that turner is happy about that because i don't know i don't blame him it's been ridiculous that they, these two guys are about to share the court or one of them will come off the and, bench and remember or... this
1: ac before we were like uniformly getting all of these reports of turner he's looking at the warriors or turner's looking yep. at this team or that team he was always connected to some other team And the second they traded Sabonis, because it gave them a new identity, immediately the first report that came out was he's happy with the roster construction. That means something.
2: Yeah, well said.
1: So the Kings are pretty busy today because they're also
0: part of a four-team trade with the Bucs, the Clippers, and the Pistons. The Kings got Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, and Trey Lyles. While the Pistons got Marvin Bagley III, the Clippers got Rodney Hood and Semi Ojele, 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 and Semi Ojele, and the Bucs got Serge Ibaka, a second-round pick for this year from Detroit, which is the least favorable of Cleveland or Golden State, whichever is lower, and then a 2024 second-round pick from Detroit via Sacramento. So there's a lot to unpack there. So AC. What does this trade do for the Kings? Does it mitigate some of the problems that they created from trading away some spacing and getting back Sabonis?
2: So while I was critical of their previous move, I loved this move by Sacramento. They finally divorced themselves from Marvin Bagley III, who really, in many ways, you could argue, that pick set this franchise back because they pass on Luka Doncic, and Trey Young to get Marvin Bagley, who is this back-to-a-basket player that's got a really anachronistic game that doesn't fit in with the modern NBA at all. And in return, they got Dante DiVincenzo, who I think very much fits the modern NBA game. He's like a 3-and-D perimeter guy who is a little bit redundant right now in Milwaukee because they have a lot of other guys like that, especially with Drew Holiday. So they didn't need him, but I think that the Kings could use someone like this and he can provide some of the spacing that they desperately need on that roster. And and he's also a younger player that, you know, projects to at least become a a decent role player for a long time to come.
1: So I jokingly said to you all a couple of days ago in our group chat that maybe they could trade Marvin Bagley for maybe some G league guys and (laughs) some late second round (laughs) picks. And, and, this was demonstrably better than that. So kudos to the Kings for what they were able to pull back.
2: What's interesting is I actually like this move for Detroit too, because listen, you're the Pistons. You should be playing some guy who is underachieved somewhere else that's still young and has upside. Why not take a flyer and Bagley and see if you can become something more on your team and playing with someone like Cade and, and some of the other younger talent they have. That's maybe a little bit more unselfish than some of the guys that on Sacramento. So while I, I don't believe in Marvin Bagley and I don't really think he's gonna have a promising NBA career, at least not a star level NBA career. I think Detroit was right to take a flyer on him because what do they have to lose, right? Worst comes worst, he's bad and it just helps them in the in the tankathon.
1: So fuck that shit. Why why Detroit don't got Jeremy Grant? That's what we wanted to see. We wanted Jeremy Grant being traded somewhere making some headline noise, but Jeremy Grant want to stay in Detroit, play (laughs) for a 10-win team, or whatever they are, and be a number one or two main option. Like, shit, don't make no sense to me.
0: That's exactly the thing. When he makes a statement like that, who's lining up to say, that's the guy we want? Because he's just not a number one or two guy. And projecting forward, whenever this contract's up, he's going to want more money that he's not worth. Yeah, so, he's already
2: said that. He's already made some crazy contract demands. So
0: Right. And with Bagley, he's on his rookie deal. So I think this is a good move because when it's a young guy who has been pretty underwhelming, I mean, his claim to fame is to be not Luka Doncic, right? So with him, you get a guy who is probably pretty motivated to show what he can do. And, you know, the sky's the limit from there. Now, will, will he ever meet that potential? Unless he learns how to play like Joel Embiid? I don't think so.
2: He's, You know, the sky is definitely not the limit for him, in my opinion. I think if you want to make a Sixers comparison, he's much more like Julio Okafor than he is like Joel Embiid.
0: I'm well aware. I'm just trying to be optimistic because at the end of the day, he is a number two overall pick. So there should be some level of respect given, though he has been underwhelming. Because like you perfectly said, He's like a Jalil Okafor type.
2: And I will say that when he's been given minutes, he can put up numbers at least. Now, those might be empty stats to some degree, but he can put up numbers. And inexplicably this year, especially under Luke Walton, he really was riding the pine. So I, I think that with some opportunity, which he should easily have in Detroit, there is a world in which he can at least be a solid you know, rotation player. Uh, But he's got to prove the defensive end and and, and have a little bit more diversity in his game to really, you know, he's a good rebounder, but beyond that, he needs to have something more to have a real NBA career. He,
1: He just needs to do whatever Andre Drummond did. I just want to add this one thing, guys, because it seems like we're dissecting the problematic nature of how the Kings look at prospects and how they construct teams. Is it not obvious the fact that, as AC said, they drafted in a draft with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, this player with an anachronistic skill set that we had already seen fail with Philadelphia and Jalil Okafor. They still went and did it when for at least a decade, we already realized the skill set that Marvin Bagley has, it was never going to work in the league. Or at least it wasn't going to work as a guy that you put premium draft stock on to be a premium level player. For sure. Now, I think uh, the team that truly won this deal has
0: to be the Milwaukee Bucks, especially because Brook Lopez has been injured. He's been out, and that's really hurt them. You bring in Serge Ibaka, who he's still a, a, a good big to have on your roster. I love it. Not to mention, DiVincenzo has been so injured. You get him out there, you get rid of him, and then you patch up some other holes in your roster. I think it's overall a really good move.
2: I totally agree, Yasuo. I think this is the rich getting richer. Dante DiVincenzo, when he went out last season, it was considered to be potentially a fatal blow to the Milwaukee Bucks and their playoff chances. He was an important rotation player. But then they won the title without him. And then since then, they've added useful perimeter players like Grayson Allen, like Nuwaba. And these guys have provided the same kind of stuff that he did, except that they can rely upon them to at least be healthy. And in the meantime, they were able to fill in a major hole in their roster because as good as Bobby Ports is playing, and he's having one hell of a shooting season this year, they miss Brooke Lopez for what he does, both from a depth standpoint, but also that ability to stretch the defense while providing elite rim protection from a source outside of Giannis. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the big question marks about the Bucks is like, what is going on with Brook Lopez? We haven't really heard anything definitive about when he's coming back or specifically what we can expect from him when he does come back. So this is some insurance and it's in the form of a guy who can also hit a three and stretch your floor out. So now they have three floor-facing fives to play next to Giannis when they don't want to put Giannis at the five. What other team has that kind of flexibility, right? So... It's just really, really good roster construction by the Bucks
0: and AC. To your point, Serge Ibaka is shooting more than thirty-eight percent from beyond the arc. Now, with Brook Lopez, it's back injuries. Serge Ibaka does have back injuries as well. There's issues there. So, as long as he doesn't play the minutes that Brook Lopez used to play, it should be fine. Especially if he's really
1: more of a rotation big than say a starter for them. I'm sincerely going to miss White Dante. Being on a team of note.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's not going to be team of note for a long time if he stays in Sacramento, that's for damn sure.
1: True story.
0: Well, guys, I'm about to compliment somebody I'm often very critical of, Brad Stevens. Today, the Boston Celtics made some pretty good moves, I have to be honest with you.
2: I I totally agree.
0: In particular, Derek White. So let's talk about the Derek White trade specifically. They made a couple moves, but this is good. So, for Derek White, the Boston Celtics gave the San Antonio Spurs Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a first round pick, top four protected this year. I have long thought that former sixer Josh Richardson, I just don't, I think for the money you pay for him, I've always found him underwhelming. He's an unreliable as a shooter, and defensively, he's solid, but. I, I just, I don't find his value in, in the playoffs much. Whereas with Derek White, it, it's a great move for him because he never really fit with DeJounte Murray. And he fills a need that the Celtics desperately need. Not only is he a good defender, he is also good as a ball handler and a playmaker. And And as we know, playmaking is something that the Celtics have really suffered with because the... Tatums and Browns of the world just aren't good enough on that end of the court
2: yeah this is a fantastic move for Boston if you think about all the Celtics truly lack in terms of positions is they don't have enough quality guards right like they have these two incredible wings in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown but their guard depth isn't quite there you know they moved on from Dennis Schroeder it's another move they made a guy who didn't quite work out there as well this trade deadline and what Derek White does is give you a second guard who can be a bulldog defensively, and you can put him with Marcus Smart. And now you know teams are going to have a lot of difficulty just initiating offense against these two guys. But Derek White is a better playmaker than Marcus Smart as well, so I think he's going to help in that way. As we pointed out, that's something they really need—is just some creation from the perimeter. So overall, I really like that. And I, I do want to quickly touch on the other move I mentioned, which is the Schroeder move. So they got rid of Schroeder and the big piece they got back in that deal was Daniel Tice, who has been a previous Celtic. That's some nice insurance at the five because right now they're a little bit over reliant on old legs like Al Horford or young players who maybe they can't quite count on. Daniel Tice a proven commodity who plays really well with those guys, understands their system, sets more illegal moving screens than just about anybody in the
1: NBA. So... It's perfect for them. It's absolutely perfect. Since December the 26th, the Celtics have been an ascendant team. Defensively now, they're fourth in the league, but since December the 26th, they're first in defensive efficiency. They're first in points allowed. On offense, they're something like seventh in offensive rating. I say that to say the pieces that they just add will do nothing more than elevate the standards that they have set since then in in the last two months. So all in all, as AC said, with like someone like Tice, who has a history with this team, I don't see how this doesn't help them continue a theme that they've set for the last two months.
2: Eric, is it fair to say that this is a team that's being slept on a little bit? Like who wants to face the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs? I mean, they have... Two legitimate star players, depth all around, an elite defense that's you know getting its footing, and as you said, offensively they're reaching out a level now, and they have actual playoff experience now. They they have some pretty bad playoff heartbreaks, but experience is
1: experience either way. So yep. continuity too. I'm going to slander outside of the gentleman Oswe here and his new guy that's on this team, James Harden. The Celtics with their main guys they have more playoff experience than the rest of the guys on the Sixers. So yep. I wouldn't want to face them in the first round at all. And now that they're they're on the upswing, and it seems like Jalen, Jason, they're getting it together, getting a rhythm with each other that we saw a couple of years ago where they vied with the LeBron James-led Cavs as pups in the Eastern Conference Finals took yeah. go to game seven. Yep. A game seven where it was tight, dog. So I could see a situation where this Celtics team with those same two guys that are now like, what, three or four years older, they can be tough in any seven-game matchup. So, yeah, I think they're definitely being slumped on big time.
0: And if Derek White can create the way that we think he can, he can really get the most out of
1: that lineup, for sure. The Derek White comparison, where you all have both said something about Derek White, which I thought was interesting. Also, we pointed out that he was kind of like a duplicate, a lesser duplicate with Dejounte Mary, but now he's with a guy like Marcus Smart, where they can kind of have, I guess, like distributing the ball, like they could do a timeshare, and. As AC said, he's a bulldog of a player himself. He fits perfectly in the identity of the Celtics that they've been trying to create for the last couple of years. I think this team got demonstrably better, and I also think this team is a scary team henceforth. I'm with you there. Let's throw it over to
0: the Spurs, because I want to commend the Spurs for what they accomplished here. By getting rid of White, they got rid of a contract that's two years and $36.4 They have three, count it, three first-rounders in this draft. So when you put all of it together, you have ample cap space, you have three first-rounders in a draft that is looking pretty good, not to mention their picks, while some of them do have protections will yield something good, more likely than not. And an organization that has been among the best for the last 20 years minimum. And hopefully a coaching tree once Pop retires that will hold up. All of a sudden, we're looking at a team that's making all the right moves as we expect them to. And I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years or so, we're going to be seeing the Spurs contending in the West again because just how smart they are. They're like the Patriots of the NBA.
2: You know, it's funny you say that because I would argue that over the last 5, maybe even more years, they actually have not operated like the Patriots or like a team that's really truly committed to a rebuild like they're supposed to have. And I think it's because of the Pop. fact that they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. The fact that they're doing that this now is because Pop is Finally retiring, so now they can really go in on rebuilding properly from the ground up. Because I, you know, ultimately Pop would never have the appetite to put out a losing team. But I think that's the right decision. And, And yes, they have Murray, who was a worthwhile All Star, a guy who's, by the way, quietly nearly averaging a triple double this season. People don't realize how good this kid is, and he's a great defensive player too. So he competes on both ends. But he gets rebounds. He passes really well. Um, you know, scoring nearly 20 points a game. It's awesome, but he's not enough. And they have no real way to get to what enough is to really be competitive unless they get that next Tim Duncan, that next Kawhi Leonard, that next Tony Parker, that next Mono ginobili the next David Robinson. And you know how that happens? It happens through the draft for a team like San Antonio. Free agents rarely will want to go there. I mean, there's a few examples of like guys like Richard Jefferson going there, but it didn't quite work out. But historically they're not a free agent destination. So having these first round picks three in this year's draft, that's pretty cool because remember, you can always kind of combine picks and move up in the draft, and they have an amazing track record of, of pulling these guys out and late in the first round and the second round as well. So I think they're a force to be reckoned with going forward in terms of rebuilding teams. And no one's really talking about them like they talk about the other young teams that people have an eye on, but they probably should be. Yeah. So guys, I, I have a surprise little topic that I want to cover about the true winners of today's trade deadline. Yeah, obviously it's probably the Sixers, but I'm going to make an argument for a different team. Okay. A team that none of you guys probably are even thinking about because they didn't really do anything in this trade deadline. And that is the Memphis Grizzlies. And i am tell you why, guys, for a couple of reasons. Number one, none of the top three or four other teams in the West really made a true move that would have vaulted them further ahead of, of the Grizzlies, right? There were moves on the margins made, like, you know, the Suns getting Tory Craig back and you know, things like that, but nothing that is sort of just mind-blowing move that you just feel like takes them to another level beyond where the Grizzlies are. But I'll tell you what looks really damn good right now. That Lakers unprotected pick, which the Memphis Grizzlies own, because the Los Angeles Lakers... Damn. did absolutely nothing because they could do absolutely nothing because of the shit show of a roster they've put together and all the assets they've squandered. So right now, Memphis is sitting pretty. They have this team that can compete in the playoffs this year that if everything goes right, could even win the West. We wouldn't be shocked. And they may be getting one of the best picks in the draft with the way this Lakers season is going at the same time. So the true winners today, Memphis Grizzlies. Sorry, Eric.
1: Go to hell, Ouchana <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and to add to your point a c they didn't overpay for anything they didn't they didn't panic and make a bad trade. you know sometimes, as Maury proved, you don't need to make a move for the sake of making a move. you know there's still the buyout market, there's still moves that can be made. They just looked around the west and said all right we're we're fine where we are,
2: yeah, I mean. The funny thing is, honestly, I don't even know if I'm the Grizzlies, what move they need to make. Their team is so complete. They have such a nice core that could compete, not just this year, but for years going forward. I mean, maybe they'll get like a veteran to come in the buyout market, just get a little bit of experience on the roster. But man, they're set. They got picks coming in. <laughs> they're just in a really good position. And, and John Moran is fucking spectacular.
0: So before we close, guys, how funny was tonight's all-star draft? Just the awkwardness of, of the whole Harden situation. <laughs> you know, like, Kenny and Shaq, Chalk, all those guys are just... They weren't going to hold back at all. And LeBron, he couldn't even, like, hold a straight face the whole time. Yeah,
2: and and Kevin Dre had just this fantastic deadpan the entire time. You could never quite tell if it's an act, which you know it seems like he's in on the joke to some degree, or if it's just him being actually a little bit upset about this whole thing. I doubt it, because... At the end of the day, I think he's probably pretty happy with getting Simmons and the Hall they got back for James Harden. But the whole thing was high entertainment. And, you know, that, that's why at the end of the day, you know, those guys, I don't know how much longer they're going to do inside the NBA, but that program is maybe one of the most entertaining TV shows of all time. And I'm going beyond the realm of sports. It just constantly just makes me happy to watch those guys and the way they interact. And, uh, and they just there's no fucking fear about poking fun at anything.
1: I would love a comedy movie with Kevin Durant as the straight man slash like just dry humor person and LeBron James <laughs> losing <laughs> losing his shit every time Kevin Durant says anything because they have a history of this and they're actually like some type of weird ass comedic team. I don't even know if they realize it, but that shit that happened tonight had me literally crying until i fell asleep but it was outrageously funny and i'm not exactly sure that they meant for it to be as funny as it was yeah kudos to kd he was really funny
0: but with that guys i think that's a perfect place to stop for today man hallelujah praise be! we've got a contender finally just wanted to be a contender
2: (laughs) i like the film reference and now we get to shift to the fun part of the season Eric where we get to criticize all the failures the Sixers are going to inevitably have when James Harden disappears in the playoffs and and then there's
1: infighting between him and Mb
2: I'm right I'm, I'm, I'm writing this fan fiction right now Shout out a shout out to right now.
1: shout out to Doc Rivers preemptively
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of pressure on Doc to get a result too So I mean, yeah it's going to be high entertainment but you know what guys at the end of the day we're all winners for just having a contender kind of form out of nowhere to, I mean, I think the, the, the Sixers were good but now they have a the chance to be great and the Nets are still going to be around too and we got an amazing East Conference race eight teams, all of whom can make some noise, I think at the minimum eight teams maybe can even throw in Atlanta there it's awesome, man it's a great trade deadline for the NBA and, uh, you know,
0: I'm hyped. with that guys Thank you all so much for joining us today. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to hit us up by emailing us at brownmanwon'tjump at gmail.com or by contacting us on
1: Instagram at brownmanwon'tjump.
0: We'll catch you in the next one, and stay safe out there.
1: Shout out to Sin and Cinnamon. Glenn Rivers, please don't fuck this up.